Sala says to, you know, Indy, uh, what's the plan, Indy? What are we going to do? And Indiana Jones says, I, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go along. Learn more about the art and science of account management. Pick up a copy of A Dragon Walks Into a Meeting, a tactical guide to client management. Digital and print editions available at Amazon or your favorite bookseller. Well, welcome back, everybody. Welcome to Account Management, a tactical guide to success. You've got your usual hosts here, myself, John Brown, and my fantastic co-host, Fred Fuller. Say hi to the people, Fred. Hi, people. I I like that, John. Fantastic, Fred Fuller. F-cubed. That's right. I, I could think of so many adjectives for you. Uh, Pulchritudinous comes to no. mind. Hey, it's a family. Um, it's a family show. It's oh, family sorry. Show. That's a, a fifty cent word. Yeah. Um, but but fantastic is the one that that jumps to mind. How are you, Fred? I'm doing well, man. I'm uh, I'm glad to be here. It's been it feels like it's been a little while since uh, since we recorded. It's Fourth of July weekend, and guess what I spent uh, this weekend doing? Tell me. I went down to my in laws. And help them do a bunch of tree trimming. And, I, and I'll tell you, my, uh, my father-in-law is uh, 78 and mm-hmm. his, he's, in, he's in poor health. And he's got this little area where he sits and that's where he spends a lot of his time. And all these trees and stuff had grown up around it. And so I went and cut the trees down for him. And, and now he can, it cleared his view. And, it, and he, was, he was genuinely excited by the work that we did. And I got to tell you, man, I could, it was incredibly rewarding. Wow. It's it nice. Yeah. That is nice. You're a, you're a good son-in-law. I enjoyed doing it, man. Like, this isn't a thing about like, hey, listen, I'd be proud of me. Like, I just, it it was, I fundamentally enjoyed my time. This is great. Have you thought about tree trimming as a career option? Has that ever come up? I am nowhere near the man. <laughs> Those guys are. You don't have that. Do you, do you have that, that belt rope so you can like climb up the tree and then yeah. get at the limbs? Do you have that thing? Yeah. When, when I say tree trimming, I really mean I pulled a couple of ferns out of the ground for him like oh i was picturing like a logger like he had a giant chainsaw (laughs) and no is that am i wrong on that no way man so you 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 plucked a couple of of ferns yeah yeah no i had a i had a chainsaw on a stick and i had to climb up on the top of the ladder and so it was uh it was it was okay it was ripe for YouTube fame, and I avoided that. So therein lies actually maybe the greatest success of the whole thing was uh, I still have all the appendages and and stuff. Yeah, count your yeah. how many thumbs do you have? Have you counted? Four. I still have four. I still okay. Have four. The, you know, the, I, I whenever somebody tells me they did something really really well like that, I'm always like, well, that's a good plan B for a career if whatever this is doesn't work out. So I just think that's good to think about. Like, yeah, I, I think we stay focused on this episode and the content we talked about earlier. I don't think we <laughs> stick with account management. We, we're not going to reroute to tree trimming 101. Yeah. Uh, okay. not, yeah. No. I'm well, that, that that's a good that's a good say or a poor segue, I should say, uh, to um, what are we talking about today, Fred? We are going to talk about leading by example and that. It sounds like, oh, yeah, lead by example. Like they, we talked about that in the Boy Scouts. And, and there's actually some element of that 
to it, it just changes the frame, right? Um, and and so there's we have five quick sort of thoughts or or tips or tactics uh, that that we consider when yeah. leading by example, right? And we always do the tactics here, even though yep. there's a the the strategies lead by example, but always the tactics, yeah. Always, the, well, how do we do it, right? We've right. we've always committed that we wanted to be somebody that could really, you know, give you something that you can do versus a philosophy that you can latch onto and dream about, right? So our tactics, the five tactics for uh, leading by example, are know your numbers. Mm-hmm. Set up recurring routines, Mm -hmm. manage the exec team, which includes managing up. Very, very important. Very. Lead beyond the executive team and lead even when you don't know what you are doing, which that's all. That's all the time that (laughs) don't ask my kids. I think they know. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Don't there's, Oh my gosh. I make it up as I go. Probably 87% of the time. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's I'm 87.3. Um, so you're a little ahead. Uh, no, that's, those are great. Five, uh, awesome things. Well, I can't, I can't, uh, wave to dive in. And this is really all about, you know, bringing organization out of the chaos, right? That's what you're doing. That's what leading by example is right. Would you agree? Yeah. With that? Yeah. And I think it's often um, overlooked as a responsibility of the account manager. And, and when I say this, younger account managers, and that's the whole reason we're talking about this, younger account managers don't always understand that that is their role. And so when you look at an account, there's there's technology going on, there's uh, finance and billing and invoicing going on, and you have people talking to other people, and there's a lot of moving parts. And, it, and I, it's like it's not in the manual that the person that is the orchestrator of those moving parts, even though you don't own any one of those parts, you're the conductor. Right. Right. Maybe not younger account managers, young versus old, but newer account managers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As, as you, you didn't mean to be ageist, is the. No, no, you're well, I certainly didn't mean to be ageist. Oh my heavens! You're yeah. you're old, you're old. I mean, I want to say that there's. Oh, was that out loud? That was. I mean, be- beautiful. Forget the second part. Old and you know, <laughs> smart or old and something to you know offset the <laughs> the vinegar there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm super old, and and it is about. Uh, but but it is about account managers that you know that really don't have the experience to, and the understanding of that is your role, right. and 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 you know that may not be your role today, depending on you know where you are on that uh, you know sort of continuum. But that is your role is to be the conductor to to, you know, lead the troops to make sure that things are unified and that the messaging going back to the client is specific and that the messaging coming into the to your organization is is consistent and, and distributed properly and so forth. And so, you know, that's where walking through these tactics, you'll see how you become the leader of that. Yep. Well, let's dive in. Let's okay. talk about uh, number one. Number one. What is number one, John? Know your numbers. Know your numbers. Um, yes. So we have this. Um, there, there's always going to be performance metrics. There's always going to be um, 
you know, a cost, right? This is a financial relationship. So there's a cost associated to you or there's a revenue element associated to you. Um, you know, adoption numbers, performance stats, key performance in- indicators. Um, what, are, what do they call them now? There's a OKRs, right? OKRs. You know, objectives and key yeah. results. And so whatever you call them, there are, there are ways that you measure the success of the business. And whatever those are, you need to know them and you need to know them cold. So uh, but before I got into the account management sales game, I spent probably a little over 10 years, close to 15, doing um, forecasting, planning and analysis. And the number one job in that seat was to know your numbers. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you had to know your stuff in any meeting. Anytime you're walking down the hall and somebody says, hey, is that deal included in this quarter? And now you got to know all that. And so this is the same thing. You have to know those numbers because it builds confidence and credibility. When you can talk to the client and somebody says, hey, did we do the with the and, you know, what did that number look like? Yep, we got it. Here it is. Boom, boom, boom. You know, like you you have to do that and you have to do that. It's in this order for a reason. You have to do that so that you can go on and and do things like manage the executive team. Right. Yep. Yep. Um. Where all is this helpful? So not just the executive team, anyone else? This is for everybody. Um, Seagulls even. What's a seagull, Fred? I have no idea. What is a seagull, John? It's a bird that swoops in and poops all over everything. Ah, I was wondering what that was. Yeah, Yeah. so you know how in any business you get these people who swoop into a meeting, they don't know anything and they're, and they are telling you you're doing everything wrong, right? When you know your numbers. Um, so this is kind of my joke, right? Like w- it, this is for fighting off seagulls as well, right? So, you know, when you know your numbers as an account manager, you can push back and say, okay, I realize you have that opinion that, you know, we've had three errors this week, but remember we've had, uh, you know, 1000 opportunities for error this week. And so therefore our error rate is really, really low, right? So you you can use facts to marshal your arguments against seagulls with executives and even the client, I think. That is a great, great point. 100% man. When they, that the good, the thing that I take away from what you just said is they will remember the most recent thing Somebody in that meeting will remember the most recent thing. And so you just happen to have a hiccup yesterday morning, which is the third hiccup that you've had in the last two years. But they're going to somebody's going to come flying into that meeting or what are we doing about all the errors? Right, right, right. And you oh no, it's three in the last year. And here it is. And it's the thing. And you can explain it away. But you're right. That seagull's going to come in there and make your life miserable if you don't have your your stuff together. Right. Yeah. There's also, I think, as an account manager, the reason we say know your numbers, but we don't tell you what those are is, you know, we're not in your business. We can't tell you what the right numbers are. And so deciding what those are and kind of knowing those numbers by heart is in and of itself, in and of itself, an exercise. And that's a homework that you have to do as an account manager. If you're lucky, you have a boss as an account manager who kind of sets the stage for, hey, here's my expectations around that. Um, 
but it doesn't always happen that way. So you, you've got to figure it out as an account manager. Like that's actually the tough part of this. What are the right metrics that I need to be tracking on a daily, weekly, monthly basis and figuring that out? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, when we talk about this and in managing the exec team, I think one of the options there is to just ask what matters to the client. (laughs) That's a good idea. Right. Ask the question. Right. Like, yeah. Hey, here you go, man. Because one of the worst things you could do is go blowing into a meeting, spouting off all the awesome stats that you look at and they don't care. They're like, yeah, but what about the other one? And you're like, oh, so there's a yeah, there's definitely a strategy there. So number two on this list, once you know your numbers is to set up recurring routines. Mm -hmm. And so. We, we know what those things look and feel like. We talked in the last episode, we talked at length about QBRs. QBRs, right. right. Um, up, updates for the client. Do, does the client want weekly or monthly updates? I've got a great story about that. Product roadmap, account reviews. Like how often are you going to get in front of the client? You can make it pre- very predictable. Um, that it will provide a lot of a confidence with the client. It will also, if you do these things properly, you will eventually broaden the audience with the client, which should always be a good thing. Right? right. Yeah. And again, this is another one where we can't tell you exactly what your routine should be, but you should have a routine. You should write it down, tape it up next to your desk and follow it every week. So it relates back to know your numbers from the previous one. Like you should review what the numbers are every call it every week, or maybe every other week, depending on what you think the right routine is for your business. So you set up that routine, the account review, the internal account review, you know, with your own team to, so that everybody can see the work that you're doing. You should do that every year, right? The QPR is obviously, you know, maybe quarterly, right? Like you, you have to decide what these routines are, but there is a routine. And if you just are approaching your account management as I'm going to take it as it comes, that's not the right answer. No, let me, I'll give you a, what I, I think this is a great example of it depends, right? Like, well, what routine and how frequently, and you know, right. we, yeah. that, that checklist doesn't exist, but let me give you a really good example of when I got very aggressive with a weekly meeting because I had to. Mm-hmm. We were doing a quarterly review of various SLAs that we had with a very large client. And a lot of these SLAs had never been like kind of tested in production, if you will. Right. Um, Or never been in production. So, so we, there was some stabs that were taken along the way as the contracts were being created to say, yeah, that is probably aggressive, but we can go do that. We can go make that happen. Well, we're reviewing them on a quarterly basis. And the first quarter, everybody was willing to kind of put things aside and say it's the first quarter, but just know that you're not, you know, a few of these boxes are red. Okay, cool. So fast forward, we're going to do it again. So it's second quarter and we get on the phone and a few of these boxes are red. And the person on the other end of the phone, the client, they were really, they were really good people, but it was a large organization and you had to do certain things a certain way. And so they looked at us and they said, look, we got to put you in the penalty box and you got to do some other may eyes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and I got to kind of keep, you know, squeezing you on this. You guys have to figure out a way to make it better. And I said, okay, we have a problem here. Meeting quarterly is completely inappropriate. 
Mm. Like we have a problem here. We have failed two quarters in a row. I don't want to stand in front of you another three months from now and show you the same report card. I said, can we please meet biweekly for the next two months so that we are all aligned on the progress mm-hmm. being made? Right. You know, and and we did that and, and we gave them enough information on a consistent enough basis that they finally gave us relief on those SLAs so we could stop having the conversation. Right. Right. Yeah. Write down your routine, take it out next to your desk, but also get ready to be flexible. Yeah. When you need to. Yeah. And, and be out, be proactive, right? Like that was the whole thing. The, the thing that got us out of that wasn't really that we met every two weeks. It was that we were really aggressive about solving the problem and we took ownership. And that's what a large, large part of this whole thing is, right? Of If you're going to be the conductor, you have to have ownership. Yeah, that's great. That's a, that's a perfect story. All right. Well, what what else we got? Well, the next one is uh, I'm going to say it's much easier said than done. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I know you have a lot of experience with this, so I think uh, I think I, I should hand this one over to you. I'll I'll introduce it, but it's uh, manage the executive team. So managing up as well. So as the quarterback. As the conductor, you are the guy and you need things to go a certain way and your executives may have different opinions. How, how do you deal with that, John? Yeah, it, this is uh, this is really one of the hardest things to do that we talk about because, I mean, these these folks are your boss and, you know, they probably have their own notions of client management and they're um, – uh, and in particular, where they're doing something that's actually going to make the relationship worse or reduce trust or something like that, you know, you, you're stuck, right? And so, like you said, easier said than easier said than done. Well, I think we'll take the negative case. Like if you, but then again, on the other hand, you have a lot of you have a lot of executives who are in that role because they are really good at client relationships, right? So that's the dream, and you can be in that situation. When that happens, uh, you, you know, you're great. You want to you know, assist them, you want to lead and and direct them in the sense of tell them what you want them to do with a client, right? Um, so in other words, hey, um, you know, it, you have to remember, you don't make the mistake of assuming your executives know what you're trying to accomplish with the client. That's the big mistake that people make when you have a good executive who knows what they're doing with the client. And so you need to, if they're going to interact with the client, you need to remind them, hey, I'd like you to say these three things in the meeting. Or, hey, I want you to send an email to the client that says this, this, and this, and I'm going to write it for you ahead of time and send it to you so that you have something to work from. And they'll put their own overlay on it and then share it with the client, right? But, you know, when you've got somebody who's good, you're working for that's good with clients, then you want to leverage that. But just remember very carefully that they do not know everything about the client that you do. You need to refresh them on the relationship map, right? So, hey, uh, so-and-so reports to so-and-so, here's how they feel about our company so on and so forth. Right. Um, when they're bad, that's a much, that's the tough case, right? Like, what do you, what do you do about that? Um, when, when they're bad with clients and, and really there's not, there's not a ton you can do about it. What the thing I would tell you, is you're not going to fix an executive around that issue. You're, you're just not, it's a realistic matter. So what you need to do is minimize the number of debits that they take out of the client and minimize their exposure if you, if you can. So if they want to go have an in-person meeting, try to talk them into maybe a, a quicker phone call. Right. Um, I, I love, I love it, John. You are not going to fix that. You're not. 
You are not. I just, it makes me chuckle because the number of times that you have been around an executive that, you know, like, well, no, I, I, you know, like I'm going to go do this thing or they just, they, they just, they like, they don't understand there's a way to coordinate this. They have their own agenda and you are not going, you will drive yourself mad trying to fix that. No, you're, you're not. So, um, yeah. So the, so the, the choice, the really the only choice you can make is to try to, if you can't influence and, and minimize the, the impact and hope that your client is a good, good enough business people to kind of see that you are sort of stuck with that. And most of them will, because they, they perceive that that person is your boss and, you know, it is what it is. I, I've had a really bad executive that I worked for before that um, w- was so bad. They didn't realize that they were bad in, in front of a client. And, you know, it was just very dismissive in front of a client, not listening, um, not facilitative. And I've had clients pull me aside before and say, don't bring that person around here again. Yeah. Right. That is a very awkward place to be in, right? Because you can't go to your boss and say, oh, well, here's my laundry list of stuff that you need to do way better in the the next meeting, right? That's a very difficult conversation to have. And so, you know, my response to that at the time was, well, I'm not, I hear you. I don't disagree. I'm not fully in control of that, um, but I I will do my best. All right. Just acknowledging the client saying, okay, I understand what you were telling me yep. on the other yep. hand, understand that I, I do not, I'm not fully in control of that situation where the person is my boss. And um, now if they work for me, that's a, that's a different story altogether. Right. Very difficult, very challenging uh, situation. And um, the sub note on that is sometimes this happens when the executive is good. And sometimes it happens when they're bad. It's worse. In the second case, sometimes the executive will jump you. They will send an email directly to the client or communicate directly with the client, not tell you about it. Um, in either case, you just need to gently remind the executive that, hey, uh, just I'm acting as the node for this client. Like all of the things that have to do with the client touch me in some way. I, or I'm the quarterback or the conductor to your, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use. Yeah, sure. And say, um, if you could just copy me and let me know. I don't, you know, certainly, obviously, you can and should communicate directly with the client, but just let me know what you're doing so that I can make sure that we don't do something disjointed. Yeah, I, I will say that when you, First, find yourself in the role of providing that guidance and instruction to the, you know, to people above you and, you know, even maybe two, three levels above you. Mm -hmm. It can feel awkward. My experience has been that most executives like it. Love it. Yeah. They don't. If it's one less thing they have to think about and you're going to craft an email that says, how's your dog? Whatever. Like, I'm going to take care of that for you. You send it like they they actually really appreciate that. The other thing to think about when you have an executive that that insists on being involved and jumping in and everything else. Something to think about is, can you help them find the places to engage? Mm, Great. Right. Like I want to be, they want to be a part of it. It's important, right? It's important for the organization. It's important for a lot of things. And so helping them do that can actually serve you both. Yeah. Yeah. Can you engage on, Hey boss, can you engage on these two things with the client? Like give them some structure so that they're not sort of all over the place. Great point. You know, and it brings up kind of an interesting uh, higher level concept, which is one of the things that when when problems arise, people think in terms of how do I make that problem go away? How can I make that problem go away? 
and there's a there's an interesting notion here of solve the problem. Right. You're not I'm not I don't want it's not that I don't want the executive to interact with the client. That's fine. It's how they do it and when they do it and things like that. So what I'm going to do is go help you find those spaces and I'm going to solve this problem. You still get to interact and have a presence with the client and it's aligned with how I'm trying to do all these other things over here. Boom. Right. Yeah. It's, we've talked about this before. It's it's the really tough problem of, you know, the more senior you are in an organization, the more you feel a sense of real ownership about the organization. And the client is in a meeting, particularly if they're saying something negative about the organization, they're calling your baby ugly. Oh. Right. And yeah. and that can trigger an emotional response that you're dealing with with an executive. So you just have to use an account manager to recognize that. And you may take it less personally than the executive does. The executive may take it way more personally, right? And so that can be a very difficult situation to manage. And so you just need to recognize that that's what's happening and try to get them to not get the executive to not overreact to that. If, you know, particularly they're kind of in the bad executive category. Yeah, that's right. And so there's also an element here of, you know, this is a nice little runway into, into item number four, right? So managing the executive team and managing up, that's all well and good and very important, but it's also leading beyond the executive team, right? So one of the things that, that, that I've experienced is you, I, I am not a leader on the technical team, nor should I be right ever, but, but there are folks over there doing things for my client and I need them to have an understanding of the level of urgency or different things. And you have to be able to go and communicate with those folks and drive the team far broader than the exact vertical, your direct chain of command, I think, as you say, right, John? Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And so, you know, I, I, it, it's important now that that all gets done in a very particular fashion as well, because if you are interacting with or driving air quotes, driving the agenda of individuals that don't report to you then you need to have an awareness of how disruptive that could be to their chain of command. Right. Yeah. You ever experienced anything like that? Yeah. It's a fine line, right? Like, you know, one of the things I always say is um, people who are in the operational end of a business, whether that's the technology end or the, uh, you know, basic operations, whatever that looks like for your business. And you're, you're going to them and saying, Hey, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. You need to, you need to kind of realize the limits of your power there. Um, but you probably have a little more than you think as an account manager. Let's say you're a brand new account manager. It's your third month on the job. And, you know, you need to go tell an operator to do something and you, you you have a natural reticence around that because, you know, these people don't report to you, but you need to ask for something, right? So you probably have a little bit more weight there than you think because you're the person, and I'm using my air quotes here, that talks to the client, right? So um, you need to be respectful when you ask for something that's just sort of obvious, but not, not reverential, right? You, you don't have to respect the operational team to the point where, you, you never ask for anything and your client doesn't get what they need. And they probably, and the operational team can probably do a little bit more for you than, than you think. So as long as you're respectful when you ask for it, and if some manager comes to you and says, Hey, that, you know, that's, you're asking too much. Okay. Let, let's have a conversation about that. I want to understand it. 
Um, and, and that's okay. You're exploring the boundaries of what you can get out of the organization. That's not necessarily a bad thing for an account manager to be doing. So I can tell you somebody that manages operators, you know, sometimes people will come to me and say, Hey, the account managers are asking for too much. And my answer to that is a little bit of, okay, all right, well, let's work through it. But also in the back of my mind is left unsaid probably is that a lot of times I'll think to myself, eh, that's not the worst thing in the world, right? I want the account management team that's that's a little bit aggressive in trying to get what they need for a client. So that's maybe not, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a wonderful thing. And, and, you know, and I hope that people you recognize, you know, as, as professionals, regardless of your role, you recognize it as such, right? Whether you're an account manager or leading a piece of the technical, technical team or, or wherever you sit, like being, being proactive and being a little bit aggressive is, is a healthy business practice. Um, I think uh, the other thing that I, that I've done a lot of here is, I need to talk to the guy that does the thing. He does not report up through my vertical, my chain of command. Um, but I'm going to ask him if he's got the bandwidth, if he could do that, how long it would take, whatever, and see if I can you know, prioritize that. But I'm going to also have that conversation up his chain of command as well. Right. Right. So That's I'm going right. to go to his boss or his boss's boss and go, hey, man, I really need this thing. I know you're working and you're trying to balance and you got 15 mouths to feed right now. But can we go do this one, please? Right. Yeah. And I, I have a strong reaction to the word bandwidth. Like I, I try to not use that word because it gets kind of overused as an excuse to not do something. I think I, what I'd rather have is a conversation much more rationally about, um, you know, when somebody just throws up, well, I can't do this because I'm out of bandwidth. I'm like, mm, okay, well, well, when can you do it? Right. So, so let's um, rather than talking about bandwidth, let's talk about scheduling right? Like an organized process of some sort. Like, when can you schedule this? Well, I can do it next Monday. Okay, great. Let's, let's do that. I'll go back to the client. They won't like that, but I can, I can talk them into next Monday. Right. And, and yeah. that's, that is the art of account management right there. Right. But just saying, Hey, I'm out of bandwidth and that they want them to be the end of the conversation. Nah, that didn't quite cut it. Yeah, that's right. Flexibility is everything. Mm-hmm. Right. And you have to be flexible in that request. I need it yeah. today. Well, okay. Right. You right. Really, yeah. Yeah. Really you need, need to negotiate as well. Right. Right. Yeah. You need, you need to be willing to negotiate as well. And so like, right. My point being, if you hear, if somebody says to you, I'm out of bandwidth and they want that to be the end of the conversation. Well, I don't, I don't think that's the end of the conversation. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I want to keep talking about this for a minute. Right. Right. <laughs> nice try. Let, yeah. Good, good, good try. Let's get another uh, coffee. Yeah. yeah. Um, lead, lead beyond the executive team. Really, really It's strong. Super, super strong. Um, and it requires patience and maturity. Just, just really know does. that. Yeah. Great patience point. and a lot of maturity. Uh, and, and then the last one, number five is lead. I love, I love this one. This is a day in the life of Fred Fuller. Lead even when you don't know what you are doing. Yeah. Yeah. What, do you, what does that mean, John? Well, I'll tell you what it means to me. I'd love to hear what it means to you. I, so this comes from principles like, you know, action is in general, action is always better than inaction, even if you're slightly wrong, because you're probably going to learn something in the process. And if you can do that, then um, uh, you will have moved the ball forward a little bit with the client, right? Now, don't do something catastrophically wrong, but if you're kind of like 80% sure something is the right thing to do, that's probably enough. Like a lot of times with clients, you're not going to have every single piece of data that you need to make a decision and move forward. So 
um, that's kind of one point of it. And then the other is really, you know, one of your roles as an account manager is to be confident, a confident leader for the organization, even if you're, you've never done something before and you're not really sure how to do it, but having the confidence to say, Hey guys, Hey team, Hey gang, we are going to get through this with the client. Like the client just dumped all over us and gave us a bunch of stuff and we don't know what to do. We are going to figure this out. Don't worry. I've seen this movie uh, a million times and, and we're going to, we're going to figure this out. I, I actually, speaking of movies, I always kind of refer to the quote in um, the first Indiana Jones meeting where uh, I think it's some scene where a truck is driving off with the arc or something like that. And, Salah says to, you know, Indy, uh, what's the plan, Indy? What are we going to do? And and Indiana Jones says, I I don't know. I'm making this up as I go along. Yeah. Right. Uh, (laughs) A lot of business works that way. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, that's right. Doesn't get said. But uh, I I know a lot of people that started a a company. I've got a a, a good friend of mine uh, that started a company very recently. And the company was going to go do A. And the market said, could you do B? And they are doing something different from what they started. Yeah, but now they, they're doing B. Yeah, it, it, It's right. That's right. Um, I, I think that I would almost um, summarize this one as um, th- one of the big things is make decisions. Be firm and make right. decisions, right? Don't, it's almost a little bit of a, like, don't let perfect be the enemy good kind of thing. Right. Don't, don't get caught up in this analysis paralysis. You've got to make decisions. You've got to move. You've got to be a, a, you just, you have to influence the business. You have to influence progress. And so be a decision maker that people want that confidence. People want to look at somebody in a leadership role and say, I'm with this guy. He's confident. And, and people, you've probably said it before. I don't know if I'm right or wrong, or I don't know if he's right or wrong, but, but I'm going to follow him or her. Right. Right. I don't, I don't know that she has all the information to make this decision, but she's making it and we got to go. And that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to stand behind it. So, you know, make decisions, uh, be supportive. There's a lot of stuff you haven't done in the course of your career. Um, and you're going to be put in that position. And so embrace it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that's exactly right. So our our five things are. Yep. Lead by example. How do we lead by example? You know, your numbers for everybody. Right. Set up your recurring routines, QBRs, weekly updates, biweekly updates. You identify them. You got to manage the executive team that's internally manage up. Right. Manage those, the folks around you. You are the owner. You are the quarterback. You are the only one that sees it from all places in the organization. You are the one best positioned to synthesize that story and make sure there is consistency and you have to manage up to do that. Lead beyond the executive team. Influence the, the day-to-day folks that make it all happen. Make sure you have good relationships there. You're going to need them. And if they trust you, you'll be able to have those relationships with them. Lead beyond the executive team. It's important. And then the last thing, lead even when you don't know what you are doing. And if you are successful, there will be a lot of times when you don't know what you're doing, but you still have to be a, a leader with conviction and and get the team to to follow and and yeah. and you know go do that. If you're an account manager, you're doing innovation, something brand new. By definition, you don't know what you're doing, right? Like you're you're learning as you go along, right? That's yeah. great. Yep, that's it. Yeah. What do we have next, John? Well, uh, Fred, it's time for my favorite part of the show. Listener mailbag. 
I love that. Love that. It never gets old. It's man. we're open. I know we're opening up the mailbag, and uh, uh, oh my gosh, look at all these letters. Where oh, there's so many. I don't. I don't know what to do with them all. We'll see if we can pick one. It's a lot of reading. All right. We do have one letter uh, that we want to start with from Brian, who asks, okay. us, I think, a really good uh, question. Uh, hey, guys, great podcast. Really enjoy the healthy banter between you two. Uh, is it healthy? I don't know. That's mm, different. All right. Yeah. Question. What are your thoughts on managing clients who don't share the same culture as you? Uh, not talking about clients working necessarily outside the U.S., but maybe different markets, uh, different parts of the U.S., like East Coast, West Coast. Um, I presume that it's obvious that the chemist should adopt the culture of the client, but how best to go about doing so without losing what is special about your culture? Mm. What do you What do you think, Fred? I think this is a tricky and volatile question in this day and age. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's a really, really good question. Right. Um, yeah, I, I'll go first. I, I think of this question in the terms of respect. And I think that I will always, I and I always do, I respect others' cultures. I always mm-hmm. have. I really, you know, I, I get it. People have different experiences being raised and they become a part of your life. And, you know, like, cool. I respect that. There, There is an element of always being the bigger person in account management. So like I always, you know, when the client gets heated, I'm the one that has to kind of absorb that and so forth. And I think the same thing applies here, but there, there hopefully is an element of mutual respect. Um, cult this, I, there are, this is not the first time I've had this question and, and it's just, it's really tricky to navigate through it to say, look, it, you know, it, in a nutshell, it should be about respect. I respect other people's cultures. I hope they respect mine. And I hope we can find, you know, not everything has to be a 50-50 compromise, but there's got to be some level of middle ground there. And you shouldn't do things that are not reflective of who you are and who, you know, what your moral makeup is. Um, And so, you know, like this is one where you have to let your conscience be your guide, but you always have to keep, you know, you have to keep the bigger picture in mind too of, you know, you know, what is it that you are willing to absorb on in the name of, of business? Right. Yeah, that's right. And if it goes, and if it goes too far and let's, we can talk a couple of examples, then you need to probably be having the conversation internally about whether or not this is the right client for you. So there's lots of cultural examples. I think that, you know, where, um, and, and my answer to this question, I think is, if you're doing something that's authentic to you, if you're doing something differently culturally to interact with another client and it's authentic to you, then by all means, you should do it. Uh, when it becomes inauthentic, then maybe that's where you need to start having an internal conversation about whether or not this client is right for you. So in, in maybe the first category is, um, you know, if your client uh, dresses up or down way more than you, certainly, you know, that's something that is authentic. You can easily uh, do, you know, for most people it's authentic, you can, unless you, uh, come to work in some sort of costume, perhaps. I don't, I don't know. Do you do that? Maybe. Uh, only but, on Wednesdays. Only on Wednesdays. Oh, Wednesdays. Um, you know, so in that case, then that, that is certainly um, okay. I'll give, I'll give a minor example. I, uh, one time I was at a business lunch 
and the the leader from the client uh, asked everybody to join him in prayer right before having lunch served. That that's unusual for a business lunch. I didn't object to it, um, and so it's authentic for me. Uh, so I said, oh, "Okay, I'm joining them in prayer." Like that's a good example. But if for, but if my uh, religious convictions would make that inauthentic for me, then I then I wouldn't have right. Yeah. Um, so that's that's where I would have would have drawn that line. I thought it was odd. Um, certainly. Yeah. But, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, that's, that's a, maybe a little bit more touchy example of, of this, this kind of thing. Yeah. I, there's something that comes to mind here too. Uh, and that is a great example, John, the, the thing that comes to mind is I kind of can get into this, like I would do what you did. And then instantly I go to, it's, it's pretty disrespectful of that individual, to yeah. assume that everybody else is going to bow their head and follow. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Hit, hit. Now, what the reason I bring that up is because that is a waste of your time, of your mental space, of your energy. The moment you bowed your head and said, cool, I'm in, you got to let it go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I moved on quickly. I've got other, you know, fish to fry. Right. Right. Um, do you have an example? I do. I am. I have experienced uh, a partic- particular culture that has a very hierarchical, hierarchical um, uh, view on life, on their culture. Mm-hmm. It it is it matters. It's important. meaning meaning there's rank and everybody should be wearing shoulder boards, kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, and. And it's super real. It's not like a thing that was a thing back in, you know, 200 BC. And now, you know, like it it is a thing that is real and live today. And that hierarchy represents itself in social forums and business forums, you name it. And there's a large contingent of this particular culture in a, with a former client and that the hierarchical, the obsessive hierarchical um, view permeated that particular culture. And that fed down into our relationship with them. And we were at the very, very bottom of the food chain because as the, as the vendor, like, you know, we pay Mm -hmm. you and you are super low and it, and it got aggressive. Mm -hmm. candidly. Uh, and so we got on the phone with the client and said, Hey, we, we really want to be successful here. We, we like the work that we're doing, but there are things that are going to render, render us all unable to succeed. Like, because, because what you're doing now is you, you have expressed your control and your, you know, like you, you, like the hierarchy's clear to us, we get it, but it, in that vein, you're asking us to attend six hours of meetings a day, and then we can't go do the thing that you actually hired us to do. Right. So if you want us to attend meetings, we can, we will, you're the boss, but we're not going to get the thing done. Right. And we're not going to make our people work 12 hours. That's not, that's not the contract we signed with you. So I'm not going to cycle through my people, work them 12 hours a day until they quit one by one for this relationship. Yeah. So if, so if if we and then we told him, we said, so if we can hit a reset and just kind of have a little more clarity on 
boundaries and what the expectations are, you right. know, we'd really like to do that. But but if we can't make some progress on this, we're, we're going to have to decline the business. Yeah. So that's a great example. So you, you went to the client and said, look, I'm going to make the boundaries as big as possible, but there are some boundaries that we have to observe. And that's, that's a great example of where they were literally, their um, adherence to the chain of command was literally disrupting your work. That's a great example of like that, that was making you inauthentic and uh, harming what you guys were doing. And, you know, so certainly you could, you could accede to that idea of, Hey, um, you know, I'm not going to have my lowest level employee call your top person and jump the chain of command. Like I'm going to observe your chain of command because that's how you guys seem to operate. Like I can authentically do that, but I can't, but I can't make it to where like you're blowing up, literally blowing up my work in the process that, that I can't agree to. Yeah. You have your lowest level people who um, are literally um, asking for us to report what we're doing on a daily basis. And they're asking for that report to read and like, 10 to 15 minute increments. You're like, you're asking right. me to spend two hours tracking my time every day. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, yeah. it's unreasonable. And some of it's, you know, when you're a guest in somebody else's house. So, you know, I think of an example, I was at a company where um, we were working with a potential client that, um, you know, it had a very, but I hate to go back to religion again, but it's sort of a religious culture and, you know, they, they frowned on drinking and those kinds of things. And so certainly, you know, we would go visit their office or whatever, you know, we're not bringing a beer to the meeting or anything like that. Actually, that's probably just a bad idea in general, but whatever. Uh, Like, so, but they came to visit us in our office and our office manager had uh, the whole company put away anything related to alcohol, like maybe a couple of had like a beer or something on their desk or a bottle or I don't know, whatever. And like had everybody put everything away. I wouldn't have done that. Right. Because like you're coming to visit us now, again, I I wouldn't throw it in their face during the meeting while they were visiting or anything like that. I mean, I, I, that would be authentic of me to say, we, you know, we don't need to overplay this. Right. But to to sort of wholesale change your office culture because somebody was coming to visit you. I I don't know that I would do that. Right. Cause it, that to me strikes as being uh, like you're, you're faking something, you're being inauthentic. And what's interesting about this. And the reason that we can't answer this with like, yeah, if you check this box, whatever, like the authentication (laughs) is the best, best way to check that box because I've been in other cultures that would actually go to the opposite of that spectrum. Right. Like, so taking in and removing, you know, any, anything that resembles liquor, well, that's not your culture. It's not who you are. I know people that would not only do that, but they would strategically place Bibles just to get the sale. Right. (laughs) Right. That's, that's fake. Right. Right. But, but you have to decide for you. Right. Right. And your organization, what you want to live with and all that good stuff. So that's a great question, man. It's a super great question. It's really great to think about. And like, I, you know, I think other, your clients can sense that inauthenticity, like when you're trying to fake it to get the sale. Yeah. Like, and I actually think that winds up hurting you in the end. Again, you can accommodate them and their culture and you should as an account manager. As a matter of fact, you should brief the team on, hey, here's some accommodations I would like you to make as long as they're, you know, kind of within your boundaries of things that you wouldn't normally do, but that you're willing to do to get the client up into the point where it it becomes something that is antithetical to what your organization um, is about, right? Right. It's a really good question to think about. It's really, it's a really tough one. It's a great account manager question. It's the kind of thing the account manager should be managing. Yeah. Yeah, It's let me tell you something, man. I I can laugh on this one because it is hard. 
hard. It's yeah. hard because it's all shades of gray. Right. You know, the, the client called me and yelled at me today. All right. Well, can you just kind of be a tough person about it and deal with it? You know, <laughs> day, day, you know, but day two the client yelled at me today. All right. Well, you know, it's a pattern. That's great. Right. Well, day four, like, Hey, I need you to stop calling and yelling at my guy. Right. Right. It's just, it's on that shade of like, yeah, where do you, where do you turn the corner and say no more and all that? So it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful question. Well, I think that, uh, I think that about wraps it up. Is that right, friends? That's right. Send us, uh, send us emails and questions and stuff, right? Yeah. Please go to fullerbrown.com. Um, and you can, uh, there's a form there and you can send us questions, uh, comments, anything that you'd like, anything about account management. I love that question about culture. I thought that was brilliant. Love more of that if anybody um, has some ideas. So, yeah. All right. Well, I think that about does it, partner. Yes, Uh, sir. Episode of Account Management, a tactical guide to success. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And we will talk to you soon. Cheers. Fred and John would like to hear from you. Go to brown-fuller.com with comments and questions and rate us on your favorite podcast platform.